as far as leaving Arizona, you know, I loved the school, but I just wasn't, if I was going to play pro ball, I couldn't stay there and just hang out and graduate after four years like I was going nowhere. I wanted to see the baseball stuff through, so I had to make a move. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. Today we're talking to 2008 fifth round pick out of Long Beach State, Brett Lorne, former right-handed pitcher in the Mariners, Pirates, and D-back system. Brett had some experiences in his career that we haven't yet touched on this podcast. He opened his career in a big program, University of Arizona, but two years in he'd thrown less than 10 innings and had to make a pretty tough decision on whether or not to transfer. He also got into what it's like to be frustrated about not getting a promotion in pro ball. Brett was stuck in A ball for a few years. Uh, and being a Rule 5 pick, which I know Baseball America's J.J. Cooper is is really going to enjoy. Brett has his own podcast, the Too Tall Sports Podcast, which is aptly named because Brett is all of six foot seven. Uh, he's talking to other pro athletes, so if you enjoy him on this pod, go check out what he's got going on over on his feed. Also, if you enjoy him on this pod, subscribe to this feed. Make sure you're getting the new episodes when they drop every other Tuesday. In two weeks, we're talking to just baseball content extraordinaire Cody Decker. Uh, went great. Tune into that one. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com for all your prospect and amateur baseball coverage with daily MLB prospect reports keeping you up to date And what seems like a season where we have an elite prospect debuting almost every day. Uh, just in the last week, we have had Casey Mize, Tariq Skubel, and Joey Bart, which is which is awesome, and Baseball America is on top of all of that. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter, at Kyle Banduho, where I'll be updating my followers on upcoming episodes of this series and my weekly sports movie podcast, Big Screen Sports. With that, let's talk to former professional pitcher, Brett Lauren. All right, joining me on today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he is a fifth-round pick of the Mariners at a Long Beach State in 2008, Brett Lauren. Brett, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you for having me on. I've been looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going over your story. you got a lot of interesting experiences in your career, something we haven't tackled in the series yet. But before we get into that, uh, Brett, you're also in the uh, business of podcasting. Tell the listeners about your pod. Yes, thank you. Uh, I've had some time during quarantine to uh, do a podcast. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm a, a former minor league baseball player. I played for seven years in the minors and um, I have a lot of networking you know, connections from my days of playing. And so I figured, why not get on the microphone and uh, see if I can make something happen? So yeah, it's called the Too Tall Sports Podcast. You can find it everywhere. And Brett, let's getting into your career. Uh, when you say too tall, you're listed at six seven. You're a tall guy, so I'd imagine a question you got a lot or you get a lot now is, uh, "Oh, hey man, do you play basketball?" Which I'm not going to ask you because I know you did in high school. But getting into your high school days, how did you balance baseball and basketball growing up? And how did you, you know, what made you gravitate towards baseball? Sure. Yeah. Basketball is my first love. You know, honestly, it's my favorite sport still is. Um, and I wanted to make sure I played basketball all the way through my, my, my years of high school. So, you know, all four years of high school, I played both, um, the coaches, you know, as you get to your junior, senior year, they kind of want you to pick one, but, um, I just love playing basketball. So I want to make sure I knew I'd probably be done after my high school, uh, years were over, but, um, 
I just had to evaluate what really gives me the best chance to have a career in whichever sport I choose. And baseball had a better shot. Um, you know, the best I could have done with basketball was probably division two, you know, play four years and then be done. But baseball, I really thought I had a legitimate shot to go to college and, and do something with it. So um, in that regard, I just I chose baseball. So even in high school, you had professional aspirations in, in, when it comes to baseball. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of guys do, but I never, I guess I didn't think too far ahead that I would be, I, th I thought maybe I had a chance to be a professional baseball player, but I, I just, I, I had a good feeling I could play in college and at least, you know, have a great career. And I wasn't really sure after that, you know, I knew I wanted to play pro ball, but I, you know, at 18 years old, I knew nothing about it. So um, I wanted to go to college and, and make sure I gave my athletic career, you know, enough time to, I guess, blossom. And I was kind of a late bloomer speaking of that. And so I didn't really hit my stride till uh, late my senior year, maybe a couple of years, first couple of years of college. Well, in, in that regard, you went to, you ended up at the University of Arizona, which is a, you know, a powerhouse program. You went as a preferred walk-on. What was mm -hmm. your recruitment like? How did you wind up making the choice to walk on at Arizona? Yeah, I was kind of under the radar. You know, I, I didn't get, I really didn't get many scholarship offers, except for a lot of the small schools and some schools on the East Coast that I really didn't want to go to. And U of A was only about a five, six hour drive from Orange County where I grew up. So um, I took a, a, a visit there, not an official. I just went on my own, but I did get to meet the coaches and go to practice and whatnot. And they were going to offer me a partial, like a little bit, but I, I didn't take it. I just said, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, and I may have waited too long, but once I got on campus, I was just like, man, this is amazing. I love it. You know? So it was a great, great school to go to. I had a lot of fun there. And, um, you know, I, yes, I was a recruited walk-on, but I, it didn't really stop me from, you know, going there for any reason. I wanted to go there. It was fun. But, um, but yeah, my first two years at U of A were great. I had a lot of fun, but you know, I just didn't get to pitch a lot. <laughs> Did you pass up any other opportunities besides the, the East coast schools and choosing and choosing U of A, anything that you look back on and think, Hey, this might've been a good option. Or are you pretty pleased with in retrospect heading over there and getting that experience. Yeah, I didn't pass up on anything huge. And honestly, I was, you know, during my senior year, um, you know, my parents and I, we found some people that could help, you know, make some videos. And I was sending pitching videos of myself to schools trying to, you know, basically self-recruit because nobody was really, you know, helping me get to any of these schools, which a lot of kids go through. So I had sent some videos to Arizona. They said they liked them. And so, you know, it was enough for me. And I liked the school enough to just see what I can do. I, I felt like even if there were some guys on scholarship, I felt like I could still probably beat them out at some point, just based on my growing into my body and, you know, becoming a, a more uh, refined pitcher. So, it didn't really deter me too much. I didn't pass up anything that was so great, but um, it was the right choice at the time, you know, even though I only went there for two years, as you know. When you got on campus and, you know, you're, you're trying to grow into those long levers, what <laughs> were your, your expectations after you got into, you know, your first fall ball, you kind of were able to size yourself up. What kind of pitcher did you, you think you could be at Arizona? There were so many guys there that were on scholarship and a bunch of dudes that ended up playing pro ball. So it was a lot. There was a ton of competition there. Um, I ended up redshirting, you know, like I said, 
whether I'm better than them or not, you have to think there's so a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. You know, I was not on scholarship, so other guys had some money behind them, which I get. You know, they were they were the guys that the coaches wanted to be there. So I had to really outperform them to earn my spot, but I just didn't do enough. And I probably maybe body maturity mentally I was there, but physically maybe I wasn't ready yet to really contribute. So um, yeah, I redshirted my first year and just getting my bearings as a college student. You know, the whole deal. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, I didn't, I hadn't reached my peak yet where some guys came in freshman year and they were, you know, fully grown and that's all they could, they were going to be. So, um, I think I needed that first year to really understand, you know, college baseball. Redshirt year can be, especially as a freshman can be a pretty lonely time. How did you, how'd you work on yourself? How'd you get better? How did you catch up on those innings? And at that point, did you give any thought to kicking down to JUCO or, or heading to another four year school? I didn't, after my first year, I didn't think about transferring. I actually was happy to play. I got an offer to play summer ball uh, in Northern California. So I think doing that really, because I didn't, obviously I didn't pitch very much. I didn't get a lot of innings that first freshman year. So when I pitched in summer ball, I got a lot more innings. I was able to face, you know, it was a wood bat league. So it was more like pro ball um, and just better talent up there. And it was just a good experience for me to play summer ball. I think that was a key factor in, in getting myself better. And I was able to come back as a sophomore. Now I'm not, you know, some 18 year old kid. Now I'm 19 and I'm going to be 20 during the season. So I think I was growing into my body better. And I just was more, I think I was ready to contribute after my freshman summer, uh, playing summer ball. So I think that was something that really helped me, but yeah, as a red shirt, it sucks. I mean, not going to lie. It, it was, you know, you're watching everybody else play and, you know, I'm holding the radar gun in the stands. It's, it's, a pretty, uh, like you said, lonely position. So um, mentally, you just got to stay with it. You know, I knew there was a ton of guys ahead of me, so I was okay with it then. And then, uh, you know, sophomore years when I really had to make a choice on where I'm going to go. So walk me through that. You you get in a, a little bit as a sophomore. I think you throw nine and two thirds inning, which oh, over the course of you know nearly a sixty game season, that probably felt like a, a very small amount to you. At what point does transferring enter your mind? When do you start taking a look at, okay, my options might be better somewhere else? I mean, I, yeah, like you said, I, I barely, I didn't even throw 10 innings my second year. So I'm basically, if you take those nine and two thirds out, you know, I basically redshirted twice and I just saw the writing on the wall. I wasn't one of their, their dudes. And you know what? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you go, you pick a school, you don't know how it's going to be and you don't know who's in front of you and, and how many guys are just more valued than you. So the decision I made it because I was just, I knew coming back, everybody that was my age was coming back. So it's like, they're going to be stacked. I'm not going to pitch here. So where can I get exposure? So I wanted to see what my options were, you know, I wanted to, to pitch. I'm not going to get drafted if I don't pitch. So I needed to go somewhere where someone could see me. So that summer, um, my sophomore summer, I reached out to a couple schools back home. Um, Cal State Fullerton was one of them, actually, and Long Beach State, um, where I actually uh, eventually ended up going. But I was going to I threw a bullpen for Long Beach State and I had a buddy going to Fullerton, too. So it was between those two and, you know, both great programs, just like U of A. But um, as far as leaving Arizona, you know, I loved the school, but I just wasn't, if I was going to play pro ball, I couldn't stay there and just hang out and graduate after four years. Like I was going nowhere. I wanted to see the baseball stuff through. So I had to make a move. 
typically when you think of guys transferring, um, you know, there's something of a stigma of going like, you know, going to someplace less competitive to get playing time or kicking down to junior college or, you know, a lot of times D1 guys will go to a lesser conference or drop down to D2. You picked a school with five future big leaguers drafted that year, mm-hmm. including three on the pitching staff. Right. What what made, you know, since you were you were leaving a situation where it was a packed rotation, packed team, what for you made, you know, if your main goal is pitching, what gave you the confidence that, hey, I can go pitch on a team, you know, I'm going to go get a lot of innings on a team that has Vance Worley and, and Brian Shaw. Yeah, I mean, and Nick Vincent ended up getting to the big leagues too, and he was 13th rounder or something, and we were loaded. I, I think we had 13 guys drafted in 08 eventually my year in the first five rounds, like a completely stacked team. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was taking a gamble to going to another situation that had a stacked team. But after I threw a bullpen for them, you know, they could have said, no, we don't have a spot for you, you know, and the coaches there were like, yeah, I think we can, we can work with you and we can find a role for you. And I didn't even know what my role was going to be. You know, in high school, I was a starter and I thought going to Arizona, I would be, you know, they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys. I thought maybe I could be the Sunday guy my sophomore year. And even the coaches told me I was kind of flirting with that job. So but it never happened. So I still felt like I was a starter. Um, but yeah, going to a big program, you know, I'm taking a huge gamble. I was a redshirt sophomore though. So luckily, you know, I had lots of eligibility left, not that I wanted to use it all, but I had some leverage on my side. Um, but I felt like I'm good enough to pitch at this level. I didn't need to go down. I didn't need to go to a junior college. I just felt like I'm supposed to be here. I know I can compete. I just need the right situation and the right opportunity. So, um, and it was the best decision I ever made. One thing I will say, the other, the other thing about that summer was that was the year before the transfer rule where you have to sit out a year came into play. So I had to do it that summer of 07 because I would have had to sit out and not play a full year. So that was the last chance I had to transfer. So that's why I did it. When you get to Long Beach State, how long before you realized that you were not only were you going to get a chance to contribute that spring, you were going to be one of their dudes. You were going to be in that rotation with with a guy like Vance Worley. How what what was the lead up to that, and what was that mentally like when you find out that you know you're going to be a main contributor? Well, I mean, in the beginning of the year, I was basically a middle reliever. I didn't really have a role. And then as the season progressed, you know, I started pitching on maybe like Tuesday night or a Wednesday game, and I did well. And they had a freshman there that they really liked that they wanted on Sundays. And they had a senior there who was going Friday nights and Vance was Saturdays to start. So, you know, the rotation I thought was set, but the better I pitched, the more opportunity they gave me. And I eventually basically became the Saturday night guy um, and ended up pitching the playoffs and beat Cal and, and got a win in, in a regional that we hosted. So you never know when the season starts. You just never know. I think that's the lesson there is I came in with no clue what my role was going to be. And then I just progressed and I knew, hey, this is my draft year. I really got to turn it on. So uh, I worked harder that year and you know, I just, I put myself in a position to get drafted. So the better I pitched, the higher I went up in the, the uh, draft mock draft boards and stuff. So yeah, you just never know when the season starts. Even putting aside the draft stuff, when you just, when you look back at that year, 10 years later, after struggling to get on the mound at Arizona, after taking a chance on yourself transferring, what does, you know, a successful year at Long Beach mean to you in retrospect? Yeah, it was, I think it boosted my career tremendously. Like I said earlier, I could have stayed at U of A and just, you know, been a guy and barely pitched and graduated in four years and have been done. Like, that's just not how I saw myself. So, 
it was the turning point in my, I guess at that point, pre-pro ball career. It, it definitely got me on the map and I was pitching in front of scouts and I was, you know, getting exposure. And I think it was huge for my career to make that move. And, you know, sometimes you have to evaluate, like, where are you in, in college? Where are you amongst the other guys that are on your current team right now? Are you a guy or are you not? And I realized I was not. So I had to make a move and found a place for myself. So, yeah, you never know. When you pick a college, um, you're not sure if it's the right place. But you have to really evaluate after two years and say, hey, is this the right place for me? So luckily I was able to get out of there. And no hard feelings against them. It was just I needed to make a move to, to further my career. Before we jump into the draft stuff, uh, Long Beach State is obviously a, a pretty notable you know, program in college baseball history. Same with Fullerton. Uh, something that you and I talked about when we, we were first setting up this interview is a lot of, I think, West Coast baseball. And that's, you know, that's the Big West. That's the, the Pac-12, too. Get, get kind of, I think, a little bit tied into the what you would call in football, like the Pac-12 after dark, like all the games are on late, not as many people are watching, and it kind of gets overshadowed by the coverage of the SEC and the ACC. But there's some some legendary, incredible programs in the Pac-12 that always put out great teams. And I can't, can't have a guy who pitched for Long Beach on without talking about what the experience is like in the Long Beach Fullerton series, because that is absolutely on my college baseball attending bucket list uh, no you definitely got to go once they bring sports back but yeah it's uh it's a great rivalry and you know I was exposed to a little bit of a rivalry with U of A and Arizona State ASU um, so that was a cool rivalry too that's pretty much all they got there in Arizona the two big universities so I got some of it there um, and they have football programs you know the big west you know Long Beach and Fullerton those schools don't have football so pretty much it's either basketball or baseball and in both cases the baseball program is really good at both schools so we you know I knew it was going to be a rivalry the you know the first time we played them and we actually had to beat them in a series at the end of the year to be big west champions in 2008 so that was a great series um, and it's a it's a cool rivalry both programs I mean Fullerton you know is more consistent for sure in bringing good teams to the table and getting guys to pro ball. But when Long Beach is good and Fullerton's good, man, it's a great series and the atmosphere, you know, we played at Blair field, which is just off campus at Long Beach state. Um, and they have a great ballpark too. So it's a, it's a really cool rivalry to have. Um, and like you said, not a lot of, you know, national attention, but you know, one of our biggest issues with the committee and the NCAA is, you know, the year that we won the big West, we hosted a regional and we had four, including us, four West Coast teams in our own regional, which is ridiculous. You know, they got that East Coast bias. And so it almost felt like they're trying to take out the West Coast teams in one swoop, at least from our perspective. Um, and that was the year Fresno State went all the way and won the whole thing. So, you know, we had Fresno State, Cal, University of San Diego, and us. And it's four West Coast teams in a regional. It's pretty crazy. But anyway, so yeah, the baseball is a lot better than people give it credit for. Well, you you finished that year with a two six, like you said, you beat Cal in a regionals. You you have this this breakout year. When does for you when does draft talk begin? When do you go from a guy who barely got to pitch at Arizona to a guy who's who's looking at a significant draft spot, significant bonus? Uh, I I used to joke with each other like uh, some of my teammates like if you have a good game, you know <laughs> that's that's you're gonna move up the the charts again. That's ten thousand more dollars. That's ten thousand. You know you keep moving up the draft boards. But I'd say midway through, once I started getting those spot starts, and then I became a weekend guy, 
you know, then I'm Sunday, then I'm the Saturday guy. And then I had one big start at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo where I got big West pitcher of the week. And I think I went seven and two thirds and maybe gave up one unearned run or something like that. It was one of my best outings. And that really kind of solidified that I was going to be a draft guy. And then it just seemed like every weekend I would keep climbing up from what I heard, you know, the, the draft boards. So it just felt like midway through the year when I settled into a role, I became one of the dudes on that team. And it was, it was great. You know, that's exactly what I was looking for. That's why I transferred there. I wanted exposure. I wanted to play against great competition and I wanted to be at a, with a great program. So I couldn't have asked for a better you know, experience from them. Was there any desire on your part to go back to Long Beach? Because unlike unlike most college draft picks, you were a you were a redshirt sophomore. You still had your junior year. It wasn't you weren't facing the possibility of going back as a senior and being offered fifteen hundred dollars and a bus ticket to go play pro ball. Right. Um, you know how was what was the pre draft process? Was there any sense of you know on your end of going back to Long Beach, or did you want to get picked and get out of there? Yeah, I think just because, like I was saying earlier, our, our whole a lot of our team was getting drafted. The team wasn't going to be that good coming back the following year. And I think I probably would have been the Friday night guy, honestly. But and I probably would have played in the Cape that summer had I not signed. So yeah, I could I have gotten more exposure and gotten higher went higher in the draft. Yeah, probably. But I was just I was ready. You know, my stock was as high as it's been. You know, even though I was in the fifth round, not like a first round pick, but. Um, I was ready. You know, everybody I was with was ready and it was just, it was time for me to go. I felt like I don't know how much more I could have done there. It just felt like the right time and I was ready to sign and, and go play pro ball and start my career. So yeah, I think I'm, I, in retrospect, could I have stayed longer? Yeah, but I think I made the right call. So what was pre-draft like for you and what was your draft day experience? Did you have a, an idea of where you were going to go? I had heard maybe three through six, something somewhere in there. So it was about that that um, general area. But um, yeah, draft day was was very stressful. You know, I, I knew I wasn't going to be a first or, or a second round pick. But you know, once the third goes, then the fourth round goes. I'm like, all right, am I going to get picked today? Like, and I, I put a lot of stock in what I had heard. So um, and I had teams calling me the morning of. You know, oh, if we take you here, will you sign for this? You know, oh, will you, will you sign for this? You know, I and there was I had gone to you know, lunches and meetings and dinners with scouts and, you know, different executives on teams. And so they were getting a feel for everything. But um, yeah, it was, it was pretty stressful until I finally got picked in the fifth. So it was, it was a cool feeling. My family and I were all watching the draft, following it online, the draft tracker, you know, tracker thing. And I see my name pop up and they announced it. It was cool. Everybody was real excited about it. So what are your expectations for your career at that point? You know, a year prior, you're a guy who's struggling to get on the field at Arizona. Now you're a fifth round pick. They've put a a pretty quality bonus behind you, signing for $170,000. That's an investment in you. Mm-hmm. What did you, did you have a, an ETA for yourself? Did you have any idea of what kind of guy you could be in pro ball? Kind of what were your thoughts when you put pen to paper? Yeah, I wasn't exactly sure, again, what my role would be. I, I did think I'd be a starter. You know, I, I figured pro ball was something, at least the lower level, similar to the level of baseball that I was already playing, maybe slightly better, but um I wasn't sure, honestly. I didn't know what the competition was going to be like. Um, so I wanted to see, you know, how I stack up. And, you know, obviously wood bats, you know, I had to, in my early on in my career, you know, with uh, facing metal in college, you don't throw inside that often as much as you would, would like to. And I had to learn how to pitch inside more with wood bats because they break, you know, and, and most guys don't like it in there. So um, I think that was... And when you were in college, that was in the... Uh... 
that was back before BB core. Right. Uh, so not the bats. dead. That was, the dead he definitely metal. didn't throw inside. No, this was the regular, you know, I forget that some of the names of the bats right now, but yeah, these are the legit metal bats that they were using. So, um, yeah, it was just, I, I wasn't, you know, as far as like before I even started playing pro ball, I wasn't sure. I didn't know how anything worked. I knew nothing about the, you know, players from Latin America coming over. I knew nothing about them and their culture and how you mesh with them when you, in the high school kids getting drafted and where everyone's going to go. And there's so much money behind dudes that I, I knew nothing. So it was definitely an experience going up to pro ball for sure. You mentioned thinking that the competition level is probably going to be at least the lower levels, probably something around what you're playing now. How did that shake out your first couple of years of pro ball? Was that about to your expectations? Because yeah. you get on the bump, you know, right away in 2008 when you sign and you have a lot of success in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And a lot of the guys, it was mostly college guys and younger, you know, prospects that were coming up. So it was about where I thought I'd be, but I like, you know, like you said, I only spent a month, maybe less in short season, which is, you know, the first level of the minor league. So if you don't count rookie ball, but, um, yeah, I think I had a, a huge 13 strikeout game early on there. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm handling this pretty well. You know, like I, the atmosphere is great. The, you know, more fans it's, it's cool. It, it was definitely, um, I didn't really feel like I was overmatched ever. And, you know, until later in my career, but in the beginning, man, I, it felt like I was going good and I was like, all right, I can do this. Did you have any plans for the bonus? Was that, was handling money any, any sort of issue for you at all? Or did you, did you kind of take that in stride as a guy who'd had a couple years in, in college? Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't going to be a crazy spender, you know, my parents and my dad's an accountant, you know, so it's like, I, oh, I, man, I was, you, yeah, yeah. You, you had to take care of that bonus. I was in good hands. Yeah, for sure. I, they didn't let me do anything stupid, you know, and, uh, I'm, I wasn't, you know, I didn't need anything crazy, you know, um, but yeah, I didn't, I, I was pretty, pretty good with my money, but, uh, yeah, when you first get that, you know, first check, you're like, whoa, that's, that's a good amount. <laughs> so more than I was used to. So, um, I think, yeah, that was one of the, the coolest experiences was taking my first half of my bonus to the bank and like the, you know, the teller has to like get the manager and like, Hey, can we process this? <laughs> so no, it was cool. What about going from D1 travel accommodations and lodging accommodations to the travel and lodging and in, in short season Everett and in the Midwest league? Yeah. Um, when I was at U of A, we, other than the ASU trip, we, we flew everywhere, but you know, at Long Beach state, the only plane trip we took was to Hawaii, which was awesome by the way, but everything else was bus. So it was kind of like a local, it had a minor league feel to it. So, um, but yeah, the lodging is, I mean, best Westerns and motel sixes in the lower levels and overnight bus trips and just craziness. So, um, yeah, it's and you're not a tiny guy. I'm not. I At am six not. seven. Those buses and those motel sixes oh, yeah. have to be tough on the tough on the joints. At six seven, man, and sometimes you have to share a seat if you're the new guy. You know, there's all kinds of things you have to deal with, and it's just yeah, the accommodations at the lower levels are not good, but. Uh, every level, what's you know, the most key the- to being a tall guy surviving <laughs> minor league bus rides, <laughs> get your own row and put your legs on top of other people's seats or lay- some people, some guys would lay on the, in the aisle and just sleep in the aisle and bring their pillow. So you have to get creative, but yeah, not fun. Yeah. I hated, uh, I hated long bus rides in college and you are a full foot taller than me. So yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> the, uh, 
the, well, then the it's struggles like you have. You got to pitch the next day, and I feel bad for the catchers too. You know, like they got to catch nine innings the next day, maybe longer. You know, so it's just everybody in you're getting in at. You know, sometimes if it's an overnight trip, you get to the hotel at two or three in the morning. You got to get up the next day if it's an early game. It's just so not conducive to peak performance of athletes. That's for sure. And you know, a lot of the minor leagues just gets underreported, man. It's in underpaid. Everybody's underpaid. It's crazy. Everyone's so good at baseball at these levels, and they're severely underpaid. Well, you look at your first full season in in 2009 when you go out and over over two uh, pitching with two teams in low A, which we'll get into why in a second. But your numbers suggest that you didn't hit any sort of wall. Did you? Is that? Did you adjust to the physical demands pretty well of going out every fifth a day? Because that that's a big adjustment from college when you're only going out once a week. Yeah, I think it actually helped. It, it, I, um, you know, my arm feels like you know crap the next day sometimes, but um, for the most part, I like the five day rotation. It got me in a good groove, and you know, once I got minor league strength coaches and I got a, a training regimen in the off season, you know, I had a full off season to get ready and all that stuff that wasn't really, you know, it's not really part of college baseball. You play summer ball, you come back and you play. Um, but now that I was had professionals helping me, I think it even boosted my ability even more. Um, also, you know, working with pitching coaches that were ex-big leaguers or catchers that were, you know, the best at their position in their conference. You know, I just had better people around me, I think, which is expected at the pro level. So once I was able to get a routine down and work with the strength and conditioning coaches, I think I, it, it made me even better. So in 2009, you carry a 2.44 ERA for Low A Clinton in the Midwest League in the Mariners organization, and then you are part of a you're traded to the Pirates at the deadline, part of a package for Ian Snell and Jack Wilson. What is the trade process like for a guy in Low A between finding out and moving, you know, to a different city and league? What is that like when you know you hear a lot of stories about? what it's like for big leaguers at the deadline, you know, getting, you know, figuring out what they're going to do with the, the house they leased and things like that. It, what, what is the, di- what are the differences for a guy who's in low A? It's still a crazy day. Um, I remember a buddy of mine that was on the team with me. We both got held out of pitching for two days because our names were rumored in trade talks and you can't trade a hurt player. So we had to sit out. It was weird. We were watching games. We weren't even dressed with the team. We were basically floating in limbo, knowing at some, some point we were going to get traded. Um, it was weird. You know, some guys struggle with it mentally thinking, oh, this team gave up on me. They don't like me anymore. But I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as, all right, the Mariners don't want me anymore. I want to go to an organization that does want me and it's going to give me an opportunity um, to succeed. Um, Little did I know the Pirates didn't really do that for me, but that's another story. <laughs> but at the time, I was excited. You know, did I want to leave the Mariners? No, because they invested money in me. You know, I thought, you know, they push guys that they invest money in. And, but it's a common thing to be thrown into a major league deal. And it was my first experience of doing that. And yeah, as far as difference between major leaguers, yeah, they got houses and they got kids, they got wives. You know, I had to get out of my cable bill and my month to month lease. And, you know, it, but yeah, you got to pack up your stuff fly to the next spot you meet the team but they weren't even at home they're on the road you got all your stuff with you and then you got to figure out where you're going to live when you get back to the home stadium and who you're going to live with who has an empty room all that stuff so it's a hassle for sure 
did you, how did you figure that out? Did, did someone have a couch for you? What was the living arrangement once you got to Loway, West Virginia? Normally, they, you know, when someone leaves, there's an open spot. So I think they made some moves on the team we went to in West Virginia um, that had a couple extra rooms or, you know, randomly you'll know a guy from your years in baseball somehow. So somebody had an extra, like I literally got an air mattress and stayed in the living room. Like that's how the accommodations were. So um, normally they don't help you with housing. No team does that. You're on your own to find an apartment and hopefully it's month to month or someone that's worked with minor leaguers before, you know, it's not, it's definitely not glamorous, man. It's, it's a tough, like, and you got to, <laughs> meanwhile, you got to go out and play, you got to pitch and you got to do well or unless you're, you know, or else you're not going to get moved up. So there's a lot of things that you can allow into your mind to, um, stop you from progressing, but you got to, once you get on the field, you got to get rid of all that and, and pitch to the best of your ability. Well, you did the pitching part well. You finish up your, your tenure in West Virginia with the Pirates with a one five seven. At that point, do you think, do you assume that you have seen the last of low A? Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not sure why I'm not getting moved up here. Um, but the problem for me was I had some injuries. So one of them was I had a hip surgery that at the end of 09 that basically put me out for almost all of 2010. And then I had to go back to low way again and, you know, get my body right again. So I injuries definitely, I mean, no question derailed my career a little bit. Um, I had a, the hip surgery that just really put me back and I had groin strains that were kind of misdiagnosed as just, Oh, it'll be fine or whatever. But yeah, it was, uh, it just sets you back and there's new guys coming in every year trying to take your job. So that, that definitely uh, hurt my progress. The hip injury kind of makes 2010 a wash for you. You end yeah. up with, you know, 40 innings in low a five ERA, but the next year you had to Bradenton in the Florida state league, high a, you have a great year, two eight four over one hundred and seventeen innings. Was you know, you're, but you're stuck in Bradenton all year, and you're twenty four years old. It's not as though you're a young guy. Was there frustration on your part, wondering why you're not going up? A hundred percent. That was the most confusing year I think in pro ball. I was a, a mid season all star. Like in my mind, what are you? Why are you keeping me there? What's holding you back from moving me up? There's no reason for me to be here anymore. Let's at least see what I can do in double A. Um, but the behind the scenes, I think if you want to know the real truth is, you know, they were trying to hide me from going in the rule five draft, which backfired on them anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I was, and I won a playoff game that year at the end of the year, we made the playoffs too. So I, I did great in high A and I was just like, I couldn't understand why the organization was holding me back. It was ridiculous. It's like, you know, I'm better than this level. Why are you keeping me here? But you know, that's the problem with sports is you don't get to control your career except for what you do on the field. You know, you going up or down is up to the organization. And that's the hardest part about sports. Were you aware going into the 2011 offseason that you were Rule 5 eligible? Was that something that was on your mind? Yeah, I, you know, it's a long shot, right? There's only a few picks that go in, the, in that Rule 5 draft. And um, if you want, I can explain the Rule 5 draft to people if they don't know. <laughs> I, would, I would hope that Baseball America listeners know, but by all means, yeah, lay it out there. What is, what is the Rule 5 draft? 
Right. So basically, and my agent told me I was definitely up for it. You know, I had, like you said, I, had, I was an all-star the year before, and I was uh, basically what the Rule 5 draft is. After your fourth year of the minor leagues, the team that you're on, the organization has to either put you on their 40-man roster, which is basically the protected people. So you got the 25 that are in the big leagues and then 15 in the scattered through the minors that are protected. If they don't do that by a certain date, you're eligible to get picked up in this Rule 5 draft, basically going into your fifth year in the minor leagues. So the Pirates didn't protect me, didn't put me on the 40-man. So I was like, all right, I got a chance maybe to go on the Rule 5 draft. And luckily, the Diamondbacks picked me in that, and um, then I go on their 40-man roster. So it's a win-win if it happens for you. Um, And it's also great because it prevents teams like the Pirates from trying to hide people or other organizations in the minors and just go under the radar and just stockpile all these dudes that aren't moving. So it was a great thing that happened for me, and it was you know, kind of, I guess, my big break in pro ball. So I was glad to finally get a chance here to go to big league spring training, get on someone's 40 man. Like I felt like I was ready to go. So it was a huge deal for me. I've got to ask for the sake of baseball America's JJ Cooper, who I think is, is more obsessed with the rule five draft than anyone in baseball. (laughs) What was more exciting for you? Your, your amateur draft day or the rule five draft day? Uh, that's a good question. Cause they're both, you know, big deals. Um, I think amateur draft day is still is still the the best. You know, it's you've never seen you haven't seen pro ball yet. You know, you don't know anything about that. Um, I think that's still the the golden moment. Um, but yeah, rule five draft. You know, I went from high A to I'm going to big league camp and I'm on the forty man at least for the moment. You know, I could be skipping a couple levels here. So yeah, that they're both awesome. I still lean toward the the first draft that I had out of college, but. That was a huge day for my career because I was like, I really am going to get evaluated and get an opportunity here to be a guy. So uh, it was a, it was definitely a huge day. So spring training of 2012, you're in big league camp with the D-backs. You're a Rule 5 pick. You basically you have to stick on that big league roster or they have to um, essentially return you. They they eventually they work something out. But what is what mentally is spring training like as a rule five guy? Is there, is it a lot of pressure? Was it exciting? Good mix of both. How, how did you mentally grapple with that? I was nervous, man. Like I was, you know, going into, first of all, it's a new organization. So I didn't really know. I knew a couple guys just from, you know, college and other, um, playing against people in the minors, but you know, it's an older team. I didn't really know a lot of guys there. So I, it was just, uh, I had to live with a buddy that, a non-baseball player that I had to find lodging for, you know, the two months that I was in Arizona in spring training. And, you know, you want to do everything right. You don't want to be in the training room too often. You don't want to, um, get, you know, caught not running when you're not supposed to. Like I try to do everything right, all the drills, all my bullpens, and you got to show up in spring training if you want to make the club. So, um, overall it was an amazing experience though just being around that I finally felt like man this is how the big leagues is you know like even though it was still spring training it was it was awesome um and I pitched really well honestly I I had a great spring training I thought there was a chance I thought I was going to make the club out of spring training I just you know they got they're not going to put a guy that's making a million plus in the minors if they don't have to so um I just was the odd man out. I made it till the end. And, you know, luckily, instead of sending me back, they traded to keep me, which was cool. I thought that was a nice vote of confidence there. Um, And I got to go to double A that year. But um, it was still a great experience. And I'm thankful that I got one big league camp underneath me. 
incidentally, for fans, people who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you are you're, the the person that they traded for you to, to retain your rights was Robbie Rowland, who was a mm-hmm. uh, who who was an earlier guest on this podcast. So fun, kind of interspersing there. Um, but you, after you get that big league camp, you head to, to Mobile and Double A, and you have your first real rough year in mm. in pro ball. At that point, you know, any thought to life at baseball after baseball? At that point, like it's your the first time really you've tasted any sort of legitimate failure that's not because of this, you know, just like the hip injury, the kind of washed year. How do you feel about yourself as a professional baseball player? Because you've had the high of, you know, this team thought so highly of you that they brought you to big league camp, made you a rule five pick. You have this tough year in Mobile. How do you, you know, how do you grapple with that? I think mentally it was tough getting sent down at the end. I really thought, I think I actually got sent down on my birthday in the March, which was tough. But um, it, it, I think that was a tough thing because I, I pitched really well in big league camp and I was like, I might make the team. So it was kind of a letdown for me. Um and then honestly, I ask a lot of guys this on my podcast, you know, what is the biggest jump in levels for you? And to me, a lot of guys say from double A AA to triple A, or maybe it's double A to the big leagues, wherever the jump is, you know, I went from high A to double A. And I think that was my biggest hurdle was getting used to guys in double A who have a better approach. They're not swinging at as much stuff as you'd want them to. You got to really, you know, pitch your butt off in that league. And there's a lot of prospects there. And so that was the first time where I was like, wow, you know, not that I, there was a, I mean, there was a point in all, like that, I think that August, I could, I just couldn't get anybody out. Like it was a struggle, man. So mentally it was tough to deal with. And I'll give you one quick story. So after one game, we were playing Tennessee Smokies is double A in Knoxville for the Cubs. And I just got my ass kicked. And I remember talking to my parents and my mom was like, you know, you should just stop playing. And I was like appalled that she ever said that. And I was like, no, <laughs> that was blunt. Right. I, I was like, cause she probably had heard enough of me complaining about, you know, how bad I'm doing. And so, um, I was, it kind of was a wake up call. Like, no, I'm going to, I'll tell you when my career is over, you know, and I think she did it to light a fire into my ass, but, um, that was the first time I was like, wait, quit? No way. I, I'm way too young to, to stop playing. So at that point, I still wasn't thinking about life after baseball. It was one goal. It was getting to the big leagues. I'm so close. I'm in double A. I'm having a down year, but I'm going to come back the next year and do much better. So yeah, that year, first year in double A was definitely uh, the hardest of my career. You, well, the next year in 2013, you do, statistically, you do much better, but you moved to the bullpen. You're, you know, your stats say you handled that move pretty well. How did you feel about it personally being taken out of the starting rotation at that point I felt like whatever's going to get me to the big leagues I don't care just whatever role you want me to be in I'll be a star in that role because when you're so close if I don't okay I don't have to be a starter to make it like I can be a reliever and make it so if I'm successful at that put me at that and I was and I had a great first half and I thought I was going to be a double a all-star but I got moved up right before that so I got to go to triple a that year and i felt like i was really close at that point and i started my triple a career great too so i'm on a, a hot streak basically for most of 2013 and um i handled it well it's a different mindset you know like we were talking about earlier with the five days as a starter you have that all right the following day you're running then the next day you're doing a bullpen then you know getting closer to your start as you get to day five you know as a reliever you're unless you get maxed out the night before you're possibly able to pitch every night so you're mentally just it's short memory it's you might get an inning or two or even a hitter you got to bring it when you get in there so it's definitely a different mindset of you know 
come to the ballpark every day, you got a chance to pitch. So when you finished 2013 with AAA Reno, there's nothing there's nothing in your mind that's saying that you're not anything but knocking on the door to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I was, I really did. And for whatever reason, I wasn't called up, you know, like I, you know, from the beginning, I wasn't drafted by the Diamondbacks. You know, they didn't uh, technically owe me anything really. And, you know, the front office is going to push their guys that they drafted. So they look, you know, covers their, you know, what's, um, unless they're just outperforming the league where they're like, we can't deny this guy anymore. So that was my goal because I knew I was, you know, kind of an older guy getting there and, I pitched well. I just did not get called up for whatever reason. And that's, it's completely out of my hands. I don't think I could have done much better. I mean, obviously I had a couple bad outings here and there, but you know, uh, for the most part, you know, the, the Pacific coast league, there's some ballparks that the ball will fly. And I, for the most part stayed out of that. So, um, Reno you know, in particular is yeah, not Reno's, an easy place to pitch. Right. Yeah. The high altitude, the ball will, will go there in Colorado Springs and you got, you know, Albuquerque and, you know, other places that, that the ball will fly. But, um, you know, I avoided it for the most part and I did as well as I could. I, I couldn't really have asked for anything better. Um, I had a great time in Reno. The guys are great. And, you know, there's, uh, casinos right downtown. So that was fun. It was a great experience. I just never got the call. I spent the first summer I was 21 playing summer ball in Reno, and I have I have quite a bit of fondness for the city and everything except for the the elevation and how difficult it is right, to pitch. Right, right. Biggest um, little city in the yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the biggest little home runs you've ever seen. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but anyways, you um you head into uh, spring training 2014 with the D backs. Did you? Were, was there any indication that you were pitching for your job or a roster spot? I did not think that going into spring training, honestly, but apparently that's what it turned out to be. And, um, I didn't do that well in the beginning of spring training, honestly, 2014, but at the same time I was like, didn't I kind of earn it last year with what I did in, in 2013, but apparently not. So yeah, about halfway through camp in 2014, I got released and I was really surprised because they could, I guess, technically they could have released me the year before. And I would have been like, well, I just had a terrible year. I get that, you know, but I, I had a great year the year before in 2013 and they released me in 2014. I couldn't understand it. Honestly, I was like, why didn't I do enough to show you that I can pitch at the highest level? So again, out of my hands, I can't do anything about that. So unfortunately I got released and that was a devastating day for sure. Um, you know, and I thought I was going to maybe get picked up by another club and I didn't. So I decided to go play independent ball and try to get somehow back into major league baseball. Um, so yeah, so that's why I decided to go play in Long Island. At that point, before you went to go play in Long Island though, was there any, you know, did you start thinking about life after baseball at that point? Did you, you know, check in and see, Hey, how many more credits do I have until I graduate? Or what would I like to do? Or is it still is getting to the big leagues is playing baseball still your only goal at that point? When I first started there, when I went to Long Island, I thought I'm still going to get back. Um, but I, yeah, in the back of my mind, I was like, look, if I don't get picked up this year, this is it. This is my last year in baseball. I'm not going to be a baseball lifer. I'm not going to play till I'm 35, 40 years old, just kicking around. I just, that's not, this is, it was a job. That's not what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So I was content with my career and I had a great year in, in Long Island. I think my first 20 innings were scoreless, still didn't get picked up by anybody. So I was like, all right, it's just clearly not meant to be, you know, like I, I can't do anything more than I'm doing. 
So I was at peace with it. I didn't need the game anymore. And, um, but yeah, uh, going into Long Island, I was like, if I don't get called up or called back by anybody, I'm done. So you knew it was kind of a last hurrah thing. Was yeah. a lot of what we've heard on this series from guys going to independent balls that it's kind of a breath of fresh air, just being in the sense of it, more being about to, you know, playing to win and stuff like that. Were you able to enjoy your time in Long Island or was it just outing after outing, you know, you're, you're throwing up zeros and not getting picked up was more of a frustrating experience. In the beginning, it was frustrating, but the guys were awesome. The team was great. I had a lot of fun there. It was definitely fun. Like it was cool. Not as, not as hectic as, you know, the, the structure of major league baseball. It was great. Um, but yeah, I was, I wanted, I went there to come back to major league baseball and a lot of guys, I'm sure they've told you, they never thought they'd play independent ball until they actually (laughs) had to play independent ball. I mean, it's, it's when you're in the minors, it seems like a demotion. It seems like that's, that's beneath me. But when you're at that point in your career, you're like, you know what, if I got to go here to get my chance back in major league baseball, I I'm going to go. And a lot of guys end up playing independent ball when they never thought they would. So being in Long Island, you uh, you cannot. I'm not letting you leave this podcast without uh. giving me a Lou Ford story. <laughs> For listeners who don't know, Lou Ford, former Minnesota Twins outfielder, is essentially Mr. Long Island. I, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I know I don't think they're. I don't know if Long Island's playing this year, but he was as of last year still playing well into his 40s. And he can still hit the ball a very long way into his 40s. Um, yeah, he played with big leagues with the Twins. He was up for a little while, and he is Mr. Long Island. He's basically a player coach at this point. Um, great guy. Uh, he, he's awesome. I, I still do fantasy football with him and some of the other guys that were on that team. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I don't really have a ton of stories. I will say, though, this dude used to uh, rip cigarettes in the dugout in between at-bats when he wasn't playing in the field. <laughs> In the hallway. <laughs> incredible savvy. Oh, incredible dude. savvy yeah. bat move. He he could do whatever he wanted. So but he, he still was a great player, played a great center field. You know, he's a he's a cool guy. So yeah, man, he's still still trucking along out there. His uh his baseball reference page is longer than most of the papers I wrote in college. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot to unpack with that guy. I'm oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just sure. very intrigued by the career of uh of Lou Ford. But back mm-hmm. to Back to your baseball reference page, you you know you like you said you have a a great year in Long Island. You have a sub three. Um, you don't get picked up at that point when you, when you finish that season. When you head home, are you are you done or are you you waiting until next spring training? When do you finally start taking a look at life after baseball? The last thing I was possibly going to do was play winter ball in either Mexico or the Dominican or Venezuela. I was trying to play winter ball somewhere. Didn't end up working out. I never got the right, you know, I just never pulled the trigger. Honestly, I had a couple places I could have gone. I just, honestly, I was just like, you know what? I'm just done with baseball. Like I'm over it. So I was pretty much done uh, at that point. So, um, I was okay with it. You know, like I said, I was kicking around the idea of trying to come back. But at that point, I mentally was just, I was over it. You know, I, I had enough and I, I couldn't do any more than I was doing. And, you know, I had various injuries, like I was saying earlier, like I'm done getting hurt. I'm done going through the day-to-day grind. I was mentally, I was ready to move on. So what's the game plan then for your, you know, you're 27, 28 years old. You, 
you know, you have some of your, I assume you have some of your degree done. You probably haven't graduated yet. Was there thought of going back to school? What did you, you know, where did you go from there? A lot of guys struggle um, when they leave professional sports because that's all they've done for their entire life. They don't know anything else, and it's hard to transition to real life. Um, One thing I kind of always wanted to be was an entrepreneur and own my own business. And during my career in the minor leagues, I had had the uh, sandwich franchise. I had the uh, Jimmy John's a lot, and we you know have it delivered to the clubhouse, and that was kind of cool. And I had heard they were coming out to California, so I was like, all right. Maybe I'll be a franchisee. And so my cousin, who also really liked the sandwiches too, and you know he's from Arizona, wanted to move out here. So he and I were able to become uh, franchisees. So um, I didn't take a lot of time off. I really was like a few months in, in my, I guess, quote unquote, retirement from baseball. And I didn't go back to school. I went right into that. So, um, and that was the toughest thing I've ever done, even harder than baseball, just the schedule and, and getting everything working. So yeah, I... I decided to do that, and I, I didn't take a long break after my career. Did you watch any baseball the year after that? Were you able to enjoy the sport as a fan, or did you try to keep it at arm's length for a while? Yeah, I didn't watch it a lot. I really, and like I said, I, you know, I'm a basketball guy is my number one, but um, I, yeah, I just couldn't. And most guys will probably tell you they hated seeing guys in the big leagues that they didn't think should be there or that they thought they were better than all these things. I was just, you know, everybody's a little bitter right when they first retire. Um, probably happy to be out of the game, just happy to be done. But yeah, once it, that first spring training time came around, it was weird to not be doing it anymore. It was something I'd done for a long time. And um, it was definitely different adjusting to real life after that. And so it's, it's tough for guys. It's a struggle. Nobody really knows where they're going to go from there unless they had a plan beforehand. But, you know, a lot of guys struggle with the fact of, getting into real life once their baseball career is over. So with some time to, to look back on your career, you've been retired for, you know, for almost six years now. How do you, you know, how do you feel about your career? How do you feel about it now versus how you felt about it when you left Long Island? Um, I, I mean, I feel good about it other than the injuries that I had. You know, I, I think maybe, I guess, hypothetically, if I would have stayed with the Mariners forever, I could have had a chance to make it to the big leagues, but you really don't know. You know, there, there's so many unknowns. I'm happy with, I mean, I got one big league spring training and I put, I pitched in AAA right below the big leagues. Not a lot of guys get to do that. So I couldn't really ask for anything else. Um, got to play baseball for a living for a while. It is, it's pretty great. So um, as, as crappy as the accommodations are, you know, at least in the lower levels, it's, it was still a great experience and, everybody wishes they could have they, they could have done it so um i don't have any regrets really yeah i do i wish i would have made it to the big leagues of course um but i i couldn't do anything about it i pitched as well as i could for the years that i played and there's nothing more i could have done you mentioned nightmare accommodations i i, I don't want to end this podcast without at least trying to <laughs> get get one more question out of you do you have a nightmare classic minor league travel story from your days in the low minors is there anything that comes to mind you played in clinton I've heard a lot about okay, so the, Clint, the yeah. smell at Clinton. So they have these dog food plants there, and they pump out like the fumes of whatever they're manufacturing in there, and it like coats the city. Like you know, you're in Clinton when you when you're you're in there because it smells like dog food everywhere. It's the worst. It took a while to get used to. It's the worst smelling city I've ever been to. <laughs> 
It was, it was brutal. And then the summertime, it gets hot. You're at the top of the Mississippi River, and you got bugs everywhere. And, you know, there's not a lot of restaurants in Clinton. So I know I, I always, you know, dump on Clinton and all, all my episodes and stuff on my podcast. And if anyone asks, that's what the toughest city to play in. It's that. But uh, the people were great. You know, I had a great time there. And, you know, West Virginia wasn't that great either. You know, Charleston, West Virginia is not, not the best town in the world either. But, um other places were fine. You know, Mobile was cool. Um, Bark in the Park night in Clinton must be incredible, though. <laughs> Bark in the Park. I mean, it's dog heaven, isn't it? It's got to be. It's got to yeah. be. Uh, Brett, thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Tell the folks again where they can find your podcast, where they can follow you on social media, and uh, what you have upcoming in, uh, in some future episodes. Yeah, so you, once again, you can follow me at Too Tall Sports Podcast. That's T-O-O, Tall Sports Podcast. Uh, you can find me everywhere on social media. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and uh, Facebook. You can find my Facebook page there if you want to follow along there as well. Um, on Twitter, it's at the number two and then Tall Sports Pod. They only let you have a couple letters on there. Um, but yeah, Too Tall Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, everything it's basically you know the life of uh, what you've heard today it's a former minor leaguer that you know loves to talk about sports and and get the stories that you're not going to hear on tv and you know you don't have to just talk about you know Dak prescott prescott's contract every week it's you know the stuff behind the scenes so um you can get your news updates anywhere but it's the stories of the mysterious minor leagues that people don't get to hear. So I think that's pretty cool. And also what guys are doing now. You know, I got a few episodes of guys that are doing cool stuff after their career. So check it out whenever you get a chance. Two Tall Sports Podcast. Uh, it's on YouTube as well. So you can find me everywhere. Well, Brett, thanks so much for joining uh, from Phenom to the Farm. Appreciate your time. Of course, man. Anytime. Thank you very much. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, definitely do that so we can uh, connect. Thanks again, Kyle. I appreciate it. Of course. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Big thanks to Brett Lauren for taking his time talking about his career. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you so wish. Uh, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all amateur and prospect news. And we will catch you in two weeks with former major leaguer Cody Decker. <laughs>